0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Easy. Rolling the dead, the it. the dead,
1: the dead, Hello and welcome to All Through the
2: This is the podcast about film photography, where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Banya. And I am
1: Eric. On this episode, we're talking to Sir Best of the Sirkani Mobile Darkroom along the Turkey-Syrian border. We'll also be presenting the second part of our story on Imogen Cunningham. Before that, there's a couple of photographically related songs we'd love to tell you about. And there's The Answering Machine, some zine reviews, and quite a bit more, I'm sure, uh, but first, Vanya, how the hell are you?
2: Oh, I am just dandy. I'm back.
1: You're uh, back. Okay, where where were you? Where'd you go?
2: Uh, I, didn't I say I was going to Mexico in dev party?
1: It's very possible you said that.
2: I might have. You I might don't have. know. I can't remember. Uh, so yeah, I was in Mexico okay. uh, for a little bit, and I'm home, and I'm okay with that.
1: How was Mexico?
2: It was great. Uh, I usually get... A serious case of, like, the sads when uh, I come home from traveling.
1: Yeah, that is true. You do.
2: But I don't really think it really happened this time as far as, like, being sad, being home. Okay. Like, it's not that my house is miserable or anything. It's just, I don't know.
1: Well, maybe is it because you had a serious case of something else when you were in Mexico?
2: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I have this kind of like rule, or I guess this is just like how I feel about Montezuma's Revenge. If you guys haven't heard of it, it's uh, when you either drink water or something uh, that is not (laughs) maybe like margarita ice. I don't know. Something happens when your body fucking hates you and it tries to unload everything that's inside of it.
1: It's called giardia.
2: (laughs) Yeah. In any way possible. I want to say that on an average, if you go to Mexico, you're going to get it either. I would say one out of five trips or four trips. That's just kind of how it is. And I think this is like my fourth or fifth trip to Mexico without being sick. So it was uh, it was my time. I I had I have to pay my dues and hopefully I'll be good for the next four trips.
1: I I hope so. I think that's how Food poisoning works, yeah.
2: I had a 24-hour bug. It sucked. My body felt like I was thrown off a building. I had body aches. It was awful. But I'm very, very thankful that it wasn't COVID. And then also, it just lasted about 24 hours. And I started to feel better. Uh, Unfortunately, that took a full day of shooting uh, away from me. So I did not shoot as much as I would like. I basically shot one full solid day, and that was about four or five rolls of 220. That's a lot, though. 220 is is big film. It was gnarly. It was so gnarly. I was, like, running back and forth, and, like, I had a towel and changing film on the beach. It was a lot. I have a Um, question.
1: Is gnarly good or bad? (laughs) Because, like... A lot of times it's bad. And from context, I get like, okay, that's gnarly, that's bad. But now, like, you seem like you're using it like, well, it's, it's mildly inconvenient.
2: No, it's intense, like gnarly, like, oh, shit, that's like rough, you know?
1: Is gnarly always bad?
2: I guess, but not like in a like bad, bad, bad way, but it can be pretty bad. So, okay.
1: is there like a gnarly scale? Like, this is like the There is isn't. Ner-
2: so, on the gnarly scale, I would say this is probably like a three or a four. Okay. And like, that's only because I am fucking lazy and it's a point break. You have to swim really, really far against current and it is constantly like pushing you around. So, I'm like swimming the whole entire time. And then swimming back out, climbing on rocks, getting out, drying the camera- opening the housing, <laughs> okay. taking the film out, putting new film back in. Like it's it's a lot for 30 shots. It really is, but it's obviously worth it. That's why I fucking do it. Yeah. So I'm, that's why I'm like, that's why it's on a three, four on the gnarly scale because it's it's a uh, labor of love.
1: Is there something above gnarly, like worse than gnarly? Like what, say you get to a 10 on the gnarly scale? I don't know if it goes that high, I'm just assuming. So. Instead of 11, this is the next step of gnarly. Like, what's I what's post-gnarly?
2: I would have to say that it has to do with the way that you say it.
1: Oh, okay. So it's, it's say something is pretty bad, but not, like, really bad. And that's just gnarly. It, yeah. was, it was pretty gnarly today.
2: Like, oh, dude, I like was skating down the road and I got the speed wobbles, fell off, and oh my gosh, I have this gnarly scab like that's all the way down my back and it's just like full fresh meat okay. action.
1: So that's like, what, five on the gnarly scale?
2: I would say like a seven.
1: Okay. Say if that person was then hit by like a Metro bus, would that would take it beyond... A typical gnarly. What would? How would that would be said?
2: I probably would change it. I would probably go, yeah, dude. It was like super heavy. It was like way gnar.
1: So it's gnar. <laughs> so it's like it's so bad you can't even say the full fucking word. Yeah. Shit. Okay. <laughs> now on the opposite end, you'll say things are sick and so yeah. sick. So obviously, sick is one level, and then so sick is like a whole other fucking level. Yes. Is sick kind of a counter to gnarly? Like. Could you say, how are you today? It Was your day sick or was it gnarly?
2: It would be more like, hey, how was your day? And they're like, oh yeah, dude, like I did this, 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 I'll be like, oh, sick. That sounds like if it's rad, yeah. you know, I'd be like, oh. Like if it's rad, then it's sick. That but makes if it's like sense. heavy or like bad, then it's, it's gnarly.
1: Great, so <laughs> if it's rad, it's sick. If it's heavy, it's gnarly. <laughs> yes. You guys all on the same page here? Cool. Yes.
2: I've always wanted to have an accent uh, okay. when I lived in Memphis.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I I had a really hard time understanding people, but I really wanted to have, I was like, oh, dude, Southern accent. That's so rad. I just, you know, it's you, so, you have an accent. It's so sick. It is sick. It's so, <laughs> I, 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 it's so sick. The Southern accent Oh, it's like a positive is, is thing. Sick. Like, oh, accents are sick, dude. So
1: you, you have an accent.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like, I didn't realize that, like,
1: you thought everybody had an accent I, but you?
2: Yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I have one too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, you do.
2: <laughs> I feel really embarrassed right now.
1: <laughs> you shouldn't feel embarrassed. It's your voice. It's your accent. Uh, mm. Ona, it. It, it is a very sick accent and it is gnarly in no way whatsoever.
2: Well, thank you. You're welcome. I, I, you sound so natural. It's just ugh, amazing. I,
1: I am amazing. It's true. Thank you.
2: Okay, so really quick, just huh. I wanna go back to the trip. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> really, really we're quick. Talking? Yeah, okay. we were. Go on. Um I went down there to see like a couple of people get married. Mm-hmm. Completely amazing. Um and then another thing I really wanted to do was to get a tan because I have not had one because <laughs> I'm stuck in the house uh, since like COVID. I've just been in the house so much that I didn't even realize, like, how pale I was. So I feel very happy that I am more brown. Usually by this time of the year, I would have basically just a tan head and tan hands and tan feet because I'd be wearing a wetsuit. It is hilarious, and I'm hoping that next winter... I will be able to get that and photograph it because it's completely ridiculous and you have to see it. It's so funny. Kind of got this like even brownness going on right now. And I am like, I just feel like myself again. I feel alive. Okay. No,
1: I, I, that's
2: great. <laughs> uh, anyways, that was way too long about what I've been up to. So please let's Open up some space for Eric. Oh, and uh, that's necessary. Please, let's tell me about. I'm going to just guess Eastern Washington, perhaps.
1: Well, I don't know why you would say that. That seems unlikely, but yes. Uh, this past weekend was my first day trip of the year. Uh, it's a little earlier than normal. Usually I wait till the, the time changes. But Yeah,
2: well that's what happens when the Greyhound or that little guy comes greyhound? out of this, and I don't what is it? Is it a greyhound? A groundhog. I'm sorry, <laughs> Greyhound. <laughs> I, I you're from Pennsylvania. You're really dying now. Okay. The when the Greyhound Bucks comes of out.
1: Phil, of the, the, greyhound. Yeah, exactly. the, the
2: bus station. The bus
1: station. If he if, the, if the he comes dog. out of the of the garage and he sees his shadow, he's just like, Fuck, I can't do this. So the the greyhound uh, left the terminal or did not leave the terminal or whatever, and I went out and it was a nice sunny day. It was about thirty ish degrees when I got out for on the trail. Ugh. It was pretty cold and I was you know Oof. thermaled up and all of that.
2: Nice, fine. Do you have like little like fingerless gloves.
1: No, I I brought like big dumb gloves
2: Ugh. and I to get the fingerless.
1: Hated them, hated them. So uh, they they got um they got stuff to the bottom of my pack. But what I was doing, the whole reason I was out there was I got a I got that new lens, the nineteen <gasps> or so the eighteen ninety three ish Steinheil <gasps> lens.
2: You guys, it is sexy.
1: It is a sexy brass lens, yes. And I was taking it out to shoot it with the speed graphic, which has the um what are they call the, the focal plane shutter in the back of it, which yeah. makes it like four thousand pounds.
2: Yeah, huge. Uh, you're, I, I love. I always love to hear Eric's picks for his 10-mile uh, hikes go on.
1: <laughs> yes, it was that. A tripod and the Graflex 23, which is a heavy medium format mm. camera.
2: I think it's- One of my favorites. It's a beautiful camera
1: that I have a hard time focusing, but it's a beautiful camera.
2: Amazing when you get it focused.
1: <laughs> so the RB, not the RB67, but the, this Graflex big box thing with a chimney on it, mm-hmm. that uh, the chimney- separates my eyeballs from the glass at a certain distance where with my glasses on, it's too close and I can't see it. Mm-hmm. And with my glasses off, it's too far away and I can't see it. So it sucks. So what I have to do is kind of like hover over it with my glasses on and kind of get it in focus or take the chimney off and look at it with my my, my naked eyeballs. And your
2: naked eye
1: and do the best I can. And it sucks. It really, really <gasps> sucks. But the pictures it produces when you nail the focus are great. <laughs> They're really fucking fun. You
2: need like those like old people glasses. Like bifocals? Yes. Well,
1: no, that would, I mean, that would, essentially what that does is it, is it'll, it allows you to not take your glasses off. I would need like a magnifier on it, like a jewel, like the, you know, the
2: jewelry glasses. <laughs> Oh, my God. Or get, like, a monocle or something cooler. Right. A is not going to help. Okay. All I'm saying is, like, I think that you could... Yeah, like, okay, magnifier. Like, like my old um, welding glasses. And they have magnification. I mean, they're just, like, safety glasses, and they have magnification on the bottom. Right, but then I would lose so my prescription. So, if you just go... No, but you go to the doctor, and you're like, look, I, I need prescription glasses, but I also would like some sort of magnification for for photography. I'm sure people do it. I mean, a lot of people have to do the it. The
1: only thing I would really need to do would be shorten the chimney by about three inches.
2: Your chimney is so beautiful. It is. So what
1: I want to do is find a chimney somewhere. I have three. Find a chimney out. somewhere, <laughs> son of a bitch. And, and then use that when I'm out shooting. That's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to ruin a chimney that, that's original to it. Trade me. I'm not tra- that's the whole point. I don't want to trade chimney. I want to keep the one that I have. No. want to make one that's usable. I don't know. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. That's, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. So I did 8.3 miles. 8.3 miles. Oh, that's it's, pretty good for a first time. I am incredibly out of shape. <laughs> after about five miles, I was like, I'm going to die here. <laughs> and it's only five miles. Now it's pretty rough terrain.
2: But the, did you get new shoes? No. So you're wearing like two-year-old hiking shoes? Yeah, but they've only done a few hundred miles.
1: You know, it's not that bad. Okay. So they're okay. They're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I could really, my feet weren't hurting. So the only thing I can really think of is that I'm, I'm just really out of shape.
2: Well that and I'm assuming did you did you weigh your pack?
1: How Oh my pack is like four thousand pounds.
2: <laughs> okay. So that could pro- probably be yeah, so one what of the gnarly. Work- oh, is that gnarly? <laughs> yeah, that's gnarly. <not>
1: <laughs> okay. So what I'm what I'm planning on doing is the Chamonix is a lot lighter than the Graflex, but I don't have a shutter in the Shamani. This this lens doesn't have a shutter. So okay. what I'm doing is I am making a slip-on N D filter so that I can shoot it without a shutter. And so it'll slow everything down to, you know, a second, two second exposure that I can do by just uncovering the lens and covering it back up. That's my plan. Now I'll have to take into things like reciprocity failure. I'll take that into account here and there, for certain emulsions, but not honestly, not much. So Not really worried.
2: I just, every time you say that, the R word, I just think of the, when we were trying to write that episode. (laughs)
1: i yeah i have I blocked that from my memory, I assume uh it was great. It was fun, and we did it, and we moved on,
2: yeah, we did okay,
1: good. <laughs> wonderful. so that's that was how I spent, you know the last weekend, and I will be developing those photos kind of have a little bit, and we'll see what comes of those. No promises. It was using three cameras I rarely use and a lens that I've never used before, so. I wanted, a, I wanted old glass.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's old what I mess.
1: wanted. Yes. We usually go out and like something funny, but we don't have anything.
2: I mean, you're funny.
1: Thank
0: you.
2: Like to say a joke.
1: I don't tell jokes.
2: You don't have any jokes? I don't
1: tell jokes. You don't me to take, like, oh, I got a really good one for you. Did you hear the one about a priest, a rabbi? And I don't know. See, I can't even begin to make, make fun of it. I can't, I can't even make a joke about a joke.
2: Yeah, pretty bad.
1: I'm awful. It's fucking gnarly.
2: Each episode, we put on our coziest house slippers and our firmest, thickest cardigans. (laughs) Firm firm cardigans. Perfect. I don't know. Well, I I forgot that I had cozy in there already. Our fuzzy. Boom. Okay. There we go. Each episode, we put on our fuzzy house slippers and slip into our cozy cardigans and check our answering machine. We ask listeners like you, to call in and leave us a message, answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with. Let's see what we have this week.
1: Well, what we have this week is, what advice would you give your younger photographic self?
2: Ooh, I like this one a lot.
1: Oh, well, right. a lot of people did. We had a number of of people, a, a number, could be any number, we don't know, we can't Did count. you have to
2: cut anybody?
1: No, why don't you just push the button?
0: Hello. You have reached 774160. Neither one of us are in right now to take your call, but please leave us your name and number and one of us will get back to you as soon as
2: we can. And by the way, this is not Schubert's air conditioning repair services. Thank you for calling anyway. Bye. Hey, all through a lens. It is girl with too many cameras. My younger photographic self isn't too much younger since I just started about four years ago, but The biggest advice I'd give myself is don't worry about what other people think and just focus on what makes you happy. I spent way too much time thinking, well, other people shoot this or develop that and I should be doing that same thing. Um, If I could go back, I would just not give a fuck at all about what other people think and do with their art and just focus on myself. That's basically the best (laughs) life advice that I've been trying to... To kind of get into to Marley. It sucks because you know when you're like a teenager you just worry about the silliest things and now looking like I, I'm seeing her go through it and I'm just like oh my god who cares about any of that there it's not gonna matter it's not gonna matter at all. So yeah Danielle like that is honestly the best not only just photographic advice it's just like life advice in general. Fuck everybody else, do what you like to do, it, doesn't matter what anybody thinks. As long as you love it and you're happy, that makes me happy.
0: If, if I could tell a young photographer, Dave, anything, um, it would be, um,
1: you get better by getting out there and shooting again and learning from your mistakes as opposed to feeling some sort of like, you know, secret shame for not getting it right immediately. Um, Yeah. You're never, well, I wouldn't say never going to get it right the first time, but I mean, that's, that's lucky if you do. So don't be afraid of reshoot, especially if you're working on a project, reshoot things. It's totally okay.
0: Hey guys, this is Sam Warner, unrecovering photography addict on Instagram. My advice to my younger self would be to start shooting sooner, much, much sooner. Even though I've always had an interest in photography I really didn't start shooting anything where i had any kind of creative control until i was in my 30s i waited till my 40s before i really took the dive into film and it was the late 40s before i even made my first print i'll be 52 next month and it kind of bumps me out to think about all the time wasted not shooting film and not making prints
2: well he's i don't know where he gets all his energy Uh, we have like a text uh conversation and he sends me like things that he's doing what he's up to what camera and i swear to c- i don't know how he how he just has all this energy <laughs> and just motivation i'm just like you're putting me to shame you're killing it so
0: hey rick
1: and vanya this is neil Xnetsky on instagram i have a good idea of what young me was up to but there are two things i'd tell young me First is ease up on the development. A lot of these roles are seriously overcooked. I must have been really worried about underdevelopment or my thermometer was way off, super dense and hard to scan. Second is use less water. Absolutely. he does go on and, and he did talk about the Ilford method essentially. And yes, we are big advocates of mm-hmm. the Ilford method. And that's a good, adv- that's good advice for photographers of any age. I still see people just running water over film for like 10, 20 minutes, fucking stop it.
2: <laughs> I know. I, when we uh, visited Soda Springs, we went to the like actual soda thing to like get soda, soda, soda Springs, out of
1: Springs, Idaho, where- Whatever. Carbonated water naturally comes out of the ground.
2: Yes. So right next to it, I was like fixated on this water
1: It was thing. another spring. <laughs>
2: and- it was just water blasting out of the earth. And I was like, pissed off at the earth. Like, what the fuck are you doing, earth? Like, look at all this water. Like, I, sorry, but you know, Californian. I'm just like, are you kidding me? They just like let the water just come out of the earth like that? <laughs> stupid earth.
1: Hey, Vanya Eric, Matt at Moonraker32 here. So there are three things I would tell my early 2000 self about photography. You see, I grew up in a small town and just didn't know certain things about photography. Number one, pack film is this. Polaroids aren't just the ones your grandmother shot. So go get your pack film camera, buy that stuff, and shoot the crap out of it so that it's out of your system
0: and will save your older self so much money.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, He said some more, but uh, slide film and medium format film. Uh, yeah, other <gasps> if you're just shooting 35. Other things definitely still exist, but but yeah, for, for Matt and for a lot of people, myself not included, getting PAC film out of your system before PAC film is no more was certainly a wonderful thing, a wonderful decision that I made because if it comes back, I'm not shooting it. I'm tired yeah. of
2: it. I, I have this memory and it sucks because it was like, I thought it was overkill. I got a box of 10, for like $58. And I was like, Oh, it's kind of like a lot, but it's 10. So that's, that's good. And you can't even buy one pack for, for $58 anymore. And it sucks because every time I shoot pack, I just fall so much more in love with it. And it's, And I think it's because every pack film that I shoot, I'm like, this is the last pack film that I'm ever going to shoot. And for some reason, people are nice enough to send me, like Kiki sent me three packs um, of pack film. And I was like, dude, don't, no, don't, (laughs) (laughs) no. Stop
1: doing nice things for Vanya.
2: I know. I was like, oh, God. So now I owe him like big time i think i should make them some chili and empanadas or something i don't know bake him a cake
0: hi ralph brandy there is no cat save your pictures put them in a place where older you can find them i got my first camera when i was three i got a polaroid camera when i was 14 i have no idea where any of those pictures are i haven't seen them in decades and I really wish I could, because I'm really curious if I was any good back then.
1: It could be a blessing in disguise.
2: Possibly, but oh, that, no, it's such right. a shame. Yeah,
1: it is. I have some of the pictures that I took with the first 110 camera I ever had. Went to Aww. Florida in 80, I guess it was 83, because we have epcot center 1982 t-shirts that we bought because they're on the discount rack
2: <laughs> yeah that's hilarious i don't have many pictures that i took but i do have this one specific role that i absolutely love because it's like from a vivitar and it's a super cheap roll of film and it's me and my My friend from across the street, Rebecca, taking pictures of each other like, oh, I'm going to sit here and you take a picture of me. But I specifically told her to frame it a specific way. And I thought it was like so, so cool. It was basically not horizontal, not portrait. No. It was more diagonal. Yes. Oh, shit. (laughs) I
1: remember at. Cape Canaveral, I, I would take a bunch of pictures of like odd rocket engines, all the all the pipes and fittings and all that. I thought that was like really rad. Like I'll see like all these like really cool, weird things. I would also take pictures of every bathroom that we had in any any hotel room, any any place that we went. I was always a, a big fan of taking pictures of the bathroom and motel <laughs> rooms that we stayed in.
2: This is the first I'm hearing about this. This is very interesting. Please tell me more.
1: There's There's no more, I got in trouble. Parents, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. They're I was like, why are you fuck? taking all these?
2: Well, I wasn't like
1: nobody was in it. It would be like the door was open and I would take a picture of it from the, from looking outside in the hallway or whatever. And like, why do you want this? And like, well, I don't know. It looks, it looks neat. Look how, look at this. I, don't, I couldn't, I didn't have the words to, I, I still don't have the words to under, to describe like why I liked composition.
2: Hmm. But, did you guys have like shag, carp- like shag carpet in your bathroom or something? Or did you not a like the shower curtain?
1: It was a motel.
2: No, at your own house. That's why you took pictures of.
1: No, I don't, it was just different. You know I mean? Bathrooms are so different everywhere you yeah. go. And so like, you know, you go into the regular motel room. Every motel room is roughly the same, especially in the eighties. But the mm-hmm. bathrooms were just a little different. Some of them were modernized. Some of them were still back in the fifties. And so yeah. it was, it was something interesting.
2: I don't know. I was a kid. I was like 10 years old. Not even. (laughs) You know, what was a big deal for me in hotel bathrooms when they started doing that, like, weird uh, shower curtain curve. And you're like, oh, I got like extra square footage now. Also, it was so weird to me that there wasn't like a rubber like curtain. It was just cloth. And I always was like, so I'm just going to wet it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's you learn about wicking when i when i was growing up we had one of those don't touch the walls of the tent when it rains tents Mm. so i learned about wicking at a very early age (laughs) if i could give any advice to my younger photographic self it would be do not touch the walls of the tent
0: hello photo friends this is nick with the right eye dominant podcast don't be so damn afraid of criticism that prevented me from doing so much when i was younger And it's only recently when I just don't give a bleep anymore. But that's my advice.
1: Does Nick know that we can swear? Wait, can we swear?
2: Yeah, we can. Actually, my mom would be mad because I didn't cuss in Spanish.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, don't be afraid of criticism if that's what you want. If you are searching for criticism or you have a friend who you can be critical with and who yes. can be critical like with honest, you. Honest. Absolutely. That is essential, I think, to making yourself a better artist person, even having somebody you can trust like that. The flip side of that is of course people who just assume that you want criticism and are just like big dumb dicks about it. Don't be those people.
2: It does really suck sometimes when you're like, Yeah, I wasn't asking for that, but but
1: but fuck you.
0: Ivanya and Eric, I'm 53 now, and though I feel like I've been taking pictures most of my life, I only learned even the most basic principles
3: of photography when I was 40. So I guess my advice to my younger self
0: would be to start learning sooner. Uh, But you know, life is too short to have regrets of that nature. So my overall philosophy is just learn as much as I can and however much time I have left.
2: I knew that we were going to get a couple of these where I was like, oh, I wish I started early or it almost seems like a lot of people start something and they get into it at the right time in their lives. I think so. Um, Yeah. I was talking to this woman who I met surfing for the first time like years ago. And she was like, yeah, like you met me when I first started. And I was like, what? Like, oh, you like first started. And she's like, yeah, I didn't start surfing until I was 29. Hmm. And I've heard that a lot with older women in the water because I love like, I love just talking to the older woman, like, what their story is. And a lot of them are like, yeah, I didn't start till 40. I didn't start till 50. And in a way, I just think that's so fucking, like, empowering and badass to just decide, like, you know what? I am 40 or I am 50, and I can do new things and watch me.
0: Hello, All Through a Lens. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm uh, at crapperture on Instagram. And uh, if I had to tell my younger... Photographic self, something it would be to stick with it. Um, I picked up a camera last year after almost a full decade of not touching it.
2: Every, it's really weird because I feel like this is an annual tradition for me. Every year we have a listener who I have crowned best Instagram handle.
1: Oh, yes. Count Snacula was last year's maybe? Yes. 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 That's pretty good. And there's no
2: cat was, I think, four. And then, like, I don't like pickles or something. I don't know. There's just, like, so many good ones. But um, as of right now, Crappature is the winner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations, Mike. Stick.
2: I'll send you a sticker. Send me your address.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have stickers? (laughs)
2: Yes, I have stickers and I have six by seven zines. I don't know what to say about that.
1: We're gonna circle back to that off mic. Anyway, the last one. Ooh, trouble. (laughs) I'm out at the Arcata Marsh right now, so I'm sorry if it's a little windy and uh, it might be a little echoey too because I'm in a bizarre concrete structure, some derelict thing, that uh, type of thing that Eric would take a photo of. Every time I come out here to the marsh and I come here all the time, I always find something new, it's always bigger than I thought it would be, and when I think about what kind of advice I'd give to myself, uh,
0: beyond technical advice, I think the most important thing is to give myself permission, as it were, in the sense that many things in life, you don't know the point until after you do it. You don't know what's there until after you go looking for it. Just because it may not seem interesting when you think about it, doesn't mean that there isn't a reason to go out and be creative.
1: I, I, how do you know, though? I know his whole point is you don't know, but like, it's such a chance. I think there has to be, a well for me, a balance. Like, I don't know if this place is gonna be pretty cool, but I kind of think it's going to be. And then that's enough to get me to go.
2: Ah, bullshit. You're so pessimistic. You're the worst. And you will definitely say that you don't like it until you actually try it. And then you're like, oh, it was like really awesome. But it is kind of a drag to get you out there sometimes.
1: Well, I'm a defensive pessimist. I've talked about this before, where I assume something is going to be not fun or bad. And then when it is, I'm happy. Because most things in life are, are pretty fun and not bad, generally mm-hmm. speaking. So, so I'm, I'm more happy than not because of this. <laughs> it sucks people around me, though. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, over the f- millions of years or whatever, women have- existed as uh, second- class citizens we have learned to conversate with our men folk in a specific way to get them to think it's their idea
1: well I don't know what, what we're talking about so um, there we go
2: I mean all like Robert said something that you would shoot you're like oh my gosh there's like this like abandoned like wood structure in the middle of the field and it's like, Wendy the grass is moving oh my gosh so good
1: <laughs> okay I'm not sure who we're making fun of at this point so thank you everybody for calling in we will give our own answers on the next dev party
2: mm-hmm. and we already came up with the next question yes what is boom, the next boom, boom. Qu- that's
1: a lot of excitement you've got going on there what is the next question
2: sorry it's medication's okay. kicking in <laughs> what non-photography things do you pack in your camera bag extra points for weirdness it's true what
1: is it tell us tell us now a few episodes ago we talked to you about two songs that are kind of photographically related sort of mine was
2: yours mine was not
1: not not quite it was sort of anyway we want this to be kind of a reoccurring segment, and we, since we don't have a title for it or any kind of intro for it, this will serve. We have two songs again, and now this time, both of our songs have something to do with photography. Eric. Yes, Vanya.
2: I would love to know what your pick this week is. Please tell us.
1: Well, anybody from Texas, and pretty much that's kind of it, and I'm not from Texas, so it's not kind of it, but... Uh, they're aware of a singer-songwriter, kind of folk, kind of country named Guy Clark. He was friends with Towns Van Zandt, who all of the cool people out there know. You probably don't know about Guy Clark because you're, you're cool enough to know who Townes Van Zandt is, but not cool enough to know who his best friend was. I see you. Guy, Clark, Guy Clark's first album, Old Number One, is possibly the best debut album ever released. Mm-hmm. But we'll be talking about his last album. The album he released uh, a few years before he died. So on the album, the album is called "My Favorite Picture of You." Guy's wife was named Susanna, and the song is about her. The picture on the album cover of is it him holding this picture of Susanna, mm-hmm. and the picture was taken when Susanna was well. Let's actually. I'll just I'll read what what uh from an interview that that Clark gave. Um, is that how I have it set up? No. Okay. So one night. They had a huge fight, Guy and Susanna, and it's because Guy and Towns were drunk again. I guess they had said something to the effect of, we're not gonna do this anymore, sorry, Susanna, and then did it anyway. This was probably, I don't know, 75, I guess, that this was happening. And so she stormed out of the house, and as she was leaving, for some reason, (laughs) I don't know why, Guy picked up the Polaroid
2: camera. Oh, it's a land camera.
1: And took a picture of her, and he says, It was always my favorite picture of Susanna because she was so pissed at me in towns. We were just being drunk assholes and she'd had enough. From the minute I saw it, I was like, yep, that's Susanna. She was livid. So they had a wonderful life together. They got married in 1972, I think, and she died uh, in 2012. Mm -hmm. And so when he was recording the album, he was setting up, you know, starting to record and a friend came over to help him record and help him write, really. He says of that, we were, we were writing and he had a list of lines and titles and all that shit that most people carry around with them. Most people, not most people, most songwriters, I guess. Uh, I was going through it and I hit on that line and said, my favorite picture of you. And I turned in my chair and it was right there in front of me. He kept this picture of Susanna Tech to his wall. Aww. And the lyrics just poured out because it all boiled down to what was describing the picture. We might have written it in a day.
0: My favorite picture of you Is the one where you're staring straight into the lens Just a Polaroid shot Someone took on the spot No beginning, no end It's just a moment in time. Can't have back. You never left, but your bags were packed. Just in case. Okay.
1: Um I have a really i um, with Guy Clark. Literally every Guy Clark song makes me cry. So oh. I can't talk about the lyrics. I can't I can't tell you what they are. Listen to the song. It's um <sighs> Probably not like his best song. His best songs are, are maybe on his first album. And there's a few sprinkled throughout his career that are just just amazing. But this song is one of his best. It's 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 about loss. You know, it's about losing your nope, oh, can't do it. So we're gonna You're... go on. Oh,
2: you poor thing. <laughs> can't I can't
1: talk about it, but it's it's a beautiful song written by um one of the, the best singer songwriters in in our in American history so if, you, if you're unfamiliar with Guy Clark for some reason please familiarize yourself with his uh, his music especially this song
0: a thousand words in the blink of an eye the camera loves you and so do I Click. my favorite picture of you one where you
1: So Vanya, what have you got for well, us? Well, luckily,
2: I picked something a little more on the pep, uh, the up and up, a little peppy. Oh,
1: good! Uh, after that
2: tear, <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, it no, I love it. Uh, sad songs make me extremely happy. I love to cry.
1: <laughs> sad songs say so much.
2: I decided to get a little new school here, but it has something that is very, very special to me as well. So I picked, I turned my camera on by Spoon, which is a newer band, which usually I'm not really into, but I, it's a, it's a bouncy, it's like a fun. It's a walking in in your neighborhood or walking down the street with Mm -hmm. headphones on kind of song. Like, it's like, I live in New York and I walk to work song, like, you know, okay, put it in, put it in so you can hear what I'm talking about. It's got a little funk to it. This song happens to be on Spoon's fifth studio album, Gimme Fiction, that came out in 2005.
1: 2005. This is a a newer band. The album is 17 years old. Go on.
2: Frontman Britt Daniel wrote it after hearing Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. He also really enjoyed the falsetto vocals that Prince used to do, so he kind of like threw that in there too. The lyrics are about emotional distance centering around a narrator who documents their surrounding world with a camera instead of actually engaging with it. I don't know what that's like at all. (laughs) They're like, where do I start with this?
0: (laughs) I cut my fingers on the way On the way All the way I feel me slipping away I wiped my feelings off You made me untouchable for life Oh yeah
2: I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory, but fuck it. You guys want to hear some personal shit, right? Do they? I don't know. Well, they, they don't ever answer me when I ask them questions. I don't know why. Bring it. Well, uh, I'm more more than willing to spill my guts about my life. And if it helps you feel better about yours, then fuck it.
1: You are the Maury Povich Show of People. Go on. Yes,
2: exactly. Oh, no, Maury Povich? He got punched in the face. I don't want to be punched in the face. That's Heraldo. Is it? Who's Maury Povich then? You are not! I won't speak for all Martians. This is just my experience. Uh, I was a chronic new kid. I was constantly, constantly moving. Unsure how deep any friendships really were since... I didn't know them since we were babies, like most of their other friends. American households look different and cook differently than my own. Born here, but possibly have the worst English imaginable. Spanish was technically spoken in our house, and that's technically my first language, but I am still afraid to use it myself. As a young kid, gymnastics was my life. Um, I used to daydream about... What it would feel like to go outside after school and play in the yard. Uh, but I also was really obsessed with gymnastics. So, eh. Unfortunately, that abruptly ended and that really was a big, uh, like all my purpose in life kind of just dissipated <laughs> at like 11 years old. Um, feeling like a pariah in every new school, I had to tense my body when I walked into a new classroom because the teacher would try to pronounce my name and it would always be like Vania Stupa always a few snickers from the new classmate from the, my new classmates I knew what they were thinking Stupa sounds like stupid I've even had a teacher say that I'm going to be Vania stupid forever. If only I had some sort of shield that I could use to protect myself from people and the world, but still experience it in a way that makes me feel comfortable. So when the camera finally reached my hands, a Minolta, everything seemed to get easier and more comfortable in my life. It was and still is the perfect tool for my weirdo little inner child to experience the world safely.
1: So on our next episode, Vanya will be doing some, uh, what we call solicited advice. If you need some, hopefully, photographic, try to make it photographic advice, email us. This is email us at allthroughlands.podcast at gmail.com. And we'll pick one and Vanya will take her best swing at it.
3: Hello, Eric. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello, everyone.
2: Hi. How are you?
3: I'm good. How are you?
2: Good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Finally.
2: This is Sirbest. He's a film photographer living in Mardin, Turkey. He runs the Sirkani Darkroom, a mobile darkroom project servicing refugee and local children on the Turkish and Syrian border.
1: So for a, a bit of background about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived in Mardin, Turkey? So, yeah, I'm
3: originally from Kobani. Kobani is uh, like a border city on the Syrian and Turkish border. So after my graduation uh, in Aleppo, I come back to my uh, hometown, Kobani. So, yeah, in two weeks, three weeks, ISIS attacked my uh, hometown. So I had to... Uh, I forced to go to Turkey. So yeah, so after I come to here, here to Turkey, I started like working as a photographer with, with some NGOs. And yeah, one day when uh, I moved to Martin, I got chance to meet Sirkane. Sirkane, is a social circus school for children who are affected by war. Uh, so, yeah, I started working as a volunteer here in Sirkane. And after that, one day we went to one area. It's called Estacion neighborhood. It's a neighborhood. So people in Station, I mean, they are from different backgrounds. They are from Syria, Turkish, Kurdish, Arabs. So, I mean, they've been like neighbors for many years, but they never communicate to each other. So we, so we, we got an idea to use analog photography as a language to bring children together and empower them and make a project about participation of children Mm -hmm. with photography. So, yes, this is how we got the idea of our project, Circane Darkroom. So in the beginning of the project, we started in the station then after like receiving feedback from the parents we yeah we noticed that uh, there is like a transportation issues the biggest issues uh, in our project is transportation because Mm -hmm. here uh, most of the refugee people after the war in syria i mean they had like a lack of insecure here in turkey because they yeah, they are now in new place. So they mostly, usually they don't send females to the workshop because of the transportation. So this is how we get an idea to change our program into a uh, mobile, like a traveling uh, darkroom. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, we changed our program into traveling darkroom. We had a container in Sirkane. So circane dark room. It's a project under circane social circus school. Mm-hmm. So there was like a very empty container in circane, so we changed it. our yeah, we we changed it the container. We we turn it into dark
1: room, mm-hmm. like a like a shipping container.
3: I mean, it was used for like a library flying library container. Oh yeah, so, library. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. been it's never been used for a while, so mm-hmm. we changed it into dark room. So each seven months. I changed my place from like, from city or from village to village. So luckily, uh, time by time, I'm opening fundraising like, for donations because my project is non-profit project. So uh, people around the world, they are donating uh, for our projects. So from the fundraising, I I, I got a secondhand caravan and I turned it into darkroom. Mm. so now I'm traveling from village to village I'm making workshop with children so they learn all the darkroom uh, basic uh, analog analog photography and I also like beside of this uh, yeah beside of analog photography I'm also like give them uh, awareness subjects such as child rights, child marriage, child labor Uh, yeah because uh, in this area, it's very hard to be a child. Yeah. And most of the children, they don't know what child rights mean. Mm-hmm. Like mixing child rights with analog photography, it's very powerful tools yeah. to yeah. empower children. <laughs>
2: so uh, we did actually <laughs> wanted to ask how you got into film photography. What's what's your story with it? I mean, my story, so
3: I studied uh, photography in Syria and yeah, I got chance to learn analog photography. So yeah, I mean analog photography is very pow- powerful because it's not like a digital. Digital, you can when you shoot a photo, you can delete it directly. But with with analog photography, you have like a limit. You can you have to feel it when you shoot. So yeah, same for the silicon room. So. That's why we like we didn't choose digital photography, but we also like telling children like photography is photography. You can also like uh, use camera or phones, so there's not bad photo photos. So one of the reason we choose analog photography is because in the beginning of the project, like in, in the beginning of the workshops, if we choose digital photography. It, most of the children they don't have a self-confidence they will when they took sh- to, to uh, take or they will when they shoot a photo they will uh yeah they don't have a self-confidence they will del- delete the photo uh, immediately so with analog photography when they are in the workshop they are learning new things and they are having new friends and also like I give them like a uh, child rights subjects mm-hmm. uh like when they are things this empowering uh, workshop, they are starting like expressing about themselves after they learn all this process, and we when we develop films, so they see the result and they are is they started talking about their result and expressing themselves. So, yeah,
1: do you think having a dark room as kind of the center is a, a good way of building community as opposed to uh, maybe digital would be on their own?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, so, for example, so in the darkroom, I'm always, like, mixing, uh so I'm putting one Turkish, one Syrian together, they are helping each other during all this printing process, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's built a community because, uh yeah, they have, a, like, a small darkroom in one neighborhood, so it's also, like, a place to spend time together and helping each other,
0: mm-hmm. so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sorry. I'm like blown away. This is so amazing.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, the result of, I mean the result of their works and the, the result of the, their works is really amazing because I'm always trying to not tell them what they select. So mm-hmm. I'm just like teaching them compositional photography and I'm telling them you you there is no bad photo in photography. So you you can t- shoot what what whatever you want. But just you have to feel it uh, when you took photos. So yeah, so they took the camera to home for one week, two weeks. It depends on them. So after they finish it, they come to the workshops. And I t- I show them how to put film inside the changing bag and how to put it inside the tank. Uh, and how to develop it together. So... They learning all of this process, and after that they like we I show them how to print, uh, scan it, and we are like making focus group discussion. We're talking about the result, and yeah, just to in case we have like an exhibition in, in the future. So I'm just like noting all their feedbacks
0: mm-hmm.
3: about the, their photographs, their works, and yeah, I show them all the darkroom process, how to print it inside the darkroom. So they're learning all this process by themselves after they're learning all the all the process, so I'm just like uh being I'm just like uh, watching them and being beside them if they need help, so they do it all by themselves. What is like the typical age that you work with? i most of the age uh, it's from seven to seventeen okay this project is about actually about the children so mm. Children are I mean they are the behind of this project so I'm just like supporting them so it's running by them mm-hmm. and also like uh, our social media photo photos they are, are selected by them mm-hmm. so they to cho- cho- they select selecting the photos mm-hmm. also I mean le- uh, before seven months we had a, fo- a new photo book it's called I saw the airfly. it's also like selected by them so mm-hmm. Uh, it's about celebration of childhood so mm-hmm. it's with partnership uh, with MacBook partnership mm-hmm. so I will tell you the story of this book I mean in the beginning of the COVID-19 so I mean usually I am always like opening fundraising campaign for the project to continue the project so one day I contact MacBook about like raising voice for my campaign they will they will very welcome about it. So, in the beginning of the COVID-19, they shared some photos of the kind of darkroom in their social media. Mm-hmm. And time by time, we were always like in touch. So, one day, they, um, I received an email uh, from MacBook. They proposed, uh, yeah, collaboration mm-hmm. in like for making photo book. So, I directly had like a meeting with children and I asked their opinion about it. They were very excited about it. So we put all the photograph, photographs on the table. So they selected by themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this is how we like select the photos inside the photo book.
2: I can't even imagine being able to experience these children Maybe just having a voice and having an opinion matter and being able to make decisions about something of their own must make you feel absolutely incredible and it sounds like you have probably one of the most inspiring jobs that I could ever dream for.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, it's. I mean, this is my motivation, like uh, the voice of children. So yeah, I'm always like, uh, this is how, this is why I'm continuing this project because I'm always like getting inspired by them and seeing new results by them. So yeah, I mean, they are always inspiring. Thank you so much. Uh,
2: what what kinds of Kids normally come to the dark room. So I mean, most of the, the children they are from different backgrounds,
3: and they have uh, like a, they don't have like they cannot access to this like culture workshops. So, uh, I mean, most of the reaction in the beginning, they are they think it's not for free, so they are asking how much is, is the workshops. Mm-hmm. So after I told them like I'm I'm explaining to them it's for free. Uh, is a in workshop. So yeah, they are from different backgrounds, Kurdish, Arabs, Kurdish from Iraq,
2: Kurdish from Syria, Turkish. How many boys compared to girls like in a, in a in a full class, you would say so i'm always trying to like to make half half so do you have to talk to parents often to try to convince them that it's not a scam and it is actually free and you have to kind of show them around to make them more comfortable so some
3: of them they are saying like it's uh, they don't believe it it's for free because here also it's economically we have like a in Turkey, uh, economic crisis. So, mm-hmm. most of like uh, analog photography equipments are super expensive. So they think it's like uh, not real. So after the, I explained to them and I invite them one day to participate in the workshops, just to know, see, and how our communication with childrens and how we took childrens uh, thought very seriously. So, they are also starting, like, getting improved and their communication getting improved with their children. So, yeah. So, and also, like, when we teach them child rise, uh, child child marriage, children are also, like, sharing sharing it with their parents. So, also, like, their communication with their own children are getting improved.
1: Great. Oh, good. What kind of things do you find that the kids photograph? They are always, like, sharing... With us,
3: like their really uh, true private moments inside the house, outside. When they are like outside, they are playing playing with their friends. Uh, so yeah, they are sharing with us like really true moments of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is also like was one of our goals in the projects because, uh, yeah. After Syrian crisis, there's, like, a lot of media or, like, photographers, they are, like, showing those world, uh, yeah, how to be a refugees through their own mm-hmm. eyes. But mm-hmm. it's not, yeah, it's not always true. So we want to, like, give a child a camera and let them share their words with us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not about like uh, always about sadness or about like being refugees uh, about
1: sadness. So yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned yeah. Uh, chemicals being very expensive in in Turkey yeah. and photographic supplies. How do you how do you get them?
3: It's, yeah, time by time it's getting very high. Mm-hmm. So at the moment I'm having I'm having like a, a project with UNHCR, United Nations Refugee. Uh, mostly I'm like opening fundraising. From the fundraising, people are like supporting me or like uh, I'm having collaboration with like, for example, Mac. Mm-hmm. So Mac, so from the fundraising, I'm like buying films and ca- secondhand cameras or like new cameras because it's also very hard to uh, find new compact cameras here in Turkey. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Some usual like buying secondhand cameras. So yeah, that's how it's work.
1: What do you think is the future? Uh, for the for the Sirkani dark room,
3: the future is traveling with caravan to like the most needed area, especially in the villages, because uh, they most of the children in the villages they cannot access to this cultural workshops. Uh, yeah, so so I'm planning to continue with the villages at the moment and. Maybe in the future. So we are planning to maybe go to the neighbor say, countries, for example, in Iraq or mm-hmm. like Lebanon. Traveling is very inspiration for us because we are really like um, changing children' rights with uh, ch- children' ra- lives with the uh, mobile. Because yeah, we are reaching children through the mobile.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I would really like uh, to be able to share this with all our, our listeners who love analog, how can we help over here?
3: I usually like opening fundraising and also like people, uh, I mean, if you have like a secondhand uh, materials, you can send it to Sir Okay. But yeah, I mean, after COVID-19, like Turkish governments are sending packages from outside Turkey to Turkey. It's oh. now very hard. It's so much much text. And yeah, and also like um, we have a, like a volunteer program. So we are always very welcome to photographers, art, artists to share their works with children. they thoughts about like photography to children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. teach children something new about photography. So it's we are very, yeah, we want like the people from different, backgrounds, they come and share their uh, knowledge about photography with children.
2: Well, we'll definitely have all of the links up in our show notes. So if you guys want to check out just this amazing work that he's doing, his website kind of explains a lot of it. You can get the book uh, on the website as well and a little bit more about the darkroom. So definitely check that out and Thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us.
1: Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a good night. Yeah, that's it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye -bye. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Previously on All Through a Lens, Imogene Cunningham, born in Portland, raised in Seattle, opened a studio to shoot a mode of portraits. Her free time was spent photographing her naked friends. Following a wedding and a couple of pregnancies, Imogene and her husband Roy moved to San Francisco, where she became friends with a slew of influential photographers. Her main focus was on portraits, but photographed plants,
2: industrial landscapes, and new naked friends. When we last left Emma Jean Cunningham, she had just divorced Roy, and she was about to photograph the Unemployed Exchange Association Sawmill with Dorothea Lange. It was 1934, the Great Depression was in full swing, and Emma Jean was ready to begin the rest of her life.
1: With Roy out of the way, and her two children grown,
2: Emma Jean was able to spend
1: a weekend with Dorothea Lange at the Unemployed Work Exchange Sawmill in Oroville, California. The differences between Lang's style and Cunningham's were pretty drastic. Lang, now famous as the one of the FSA photographers, she's the woman who would photograph the migrant mother, just and that would be two years after this. She was searching out the emotion in the shot at, this, at the sawmill. They were often very candid, when when they couldn't be candid, they were made to seem like they were. Like Dorothea Langs
2: yeah. <laughs> Well, Cunningham, on the other hand, didn't even attempt to do such a thing. The few photos she took were well-done portraits, composed nicely and with the full cooperation of the person being photographed.
1: As we mentioned in the last episode, Imogene had taken a picture to like Lang's Stolen pictures, she called them. They were candid and without the consent of the person in the photo. And that didn't sit very well with her at all.
2: I don't take, for instance, certain miseries of the world, like children that are left behind without parents and so on. You know, documentary is only interesting once in a while. If you look at the whole book of Dorothea's, where she has row after row of people bending over and digging out carrots, that can be very tedious. And so it's only once in a while that something happens that is worth doing. She would go on to reiterate. There should be a little beauty in everything.
1: Her job with Vanity Fair found her photographing famous people in and out of Hollywood. There was Herbert Hoover and Gertrude Stein most recently. Her portraits were gaining a lot of attention, and she was hired here and there as a freelancer.
2: With many of these, she experimented with double exposure and even a photo montage not too far removed from Claude Cahoon. She'd fall back on the same style when she was commissioned by Mills College to photograph visiting musicians. There are a number of such double exposures of harpists and accordion players from 1935. Though she enjoyed the work, she had to take the jobs to make ends meet.
1: One of her subjects was Helene Mayer, an Olympic fencing champion who was expelled from Germany for being Jewish. They became friends and Imogene photographed her extensively. Returning from the 1935 Olympics, Helene gifted Imogene her first medium format camera, a Zeiss Super Iconta B. Prior to this, her daily shooter was a Graflex 4x5.
2: Two years later, her son, Rondal, loaned her his 35 millimeter. She shot a few rolls through it around San Francisco, but found the format to be much too small and returned to the Iconta, and then later the Roloflex, continuing the square format through the rest of her life.
1: Looking back on the work she made at this time, a time of being on her own again after nearly two decades, you can see that she was almost struggling to find her place. By 1940, she was photographing color shots for Sunset Magazine, just like Ansel Adams was at the time.
2: Color film had recently dropped in price, and this allowed those who couldn't otherwise afford it the chance to experiment with it. But even the lower prices were much higher than black and white. And with the onset of World War II, commissions for her work were drying up.
1: Because of the divorce, she had to leave the family home and she settled in a much smaller place, too small for a darkroom. This meant that she had to borrow darkroom time and space from friends. It was incredibly inconvenient, especially since she didn't drive. The portraits and what little commission work that came her way barely paid the bills.
2: My jobs are, for the most part, more disappointing than any period of my life.
1: She wrote to a friend at the time.
2: And I cannot turn them down because I must eat, but... I must also do something else.
1: She had been managing to put a little food on her table by charging on-leave servicemen a bit to have their photos taken. And with her smaller camera, she took to street photography. By the end of the war, she had already produced some of her more famous shots. These included tea at Foster's, a photo of two women in a diner sitting opposite each other, as well as double image Sutter Street and Fillmore, depicting a street scene reflecting itself in a storefront window.
2: In 1946, Ansel Adams invited her to teach a class in portraiture at the California School of Fine Arts. Her tenure there lasted only a few years, but she formed lifelong bonds with her students and took inspiration from her fellow instructors. Also at the school were Dorothea Lange, Minor White, Homer Page, and her old friend Edward Weston.
1: In 1947, she moved again, this time to a cottage, small but large enough for a dark room, which she built herself in the already cramped basement. A back bedroom was her office, and her living room was her studio. It very much mirrored her first cottage studio back on First Hill in Seattle.
2: Once again in the thick of it, and with the new inspiration from students and faculty, Emma Jean began going on field trips. There were excursions with Hansel Meath and Alma Levinson to places like Bodega Bay, Ferndale, and Rough and Ready. She'd visit Echo Lake and the Sierras, exploring all she could of what was left of California's wilderness. While
1: the fresh air was nice, the photos she produced during these periods of travel stand in stark contrast to her later work, and they're often not even included in the books. Her heart was in the city, in the street portraits that she had been taking on and off for a decade or more. And it was during this time when she received her greatest inspiration.
2: Also on the staff at the school was a photographer named Lisette Modell a staff photographer for Harper's Bazaar. She and her husband, Evza, had visited California a few years before and were evicted from their apartment in New York. Fallen on hard times, Ansel gave them teaching jobs in San Francisco to get them back on their feet.
1: Yeah, and finding that that Ansel Adams' secret power was that he was able to give people jobs.
2: Yeah, he was a hire. He he was. (laughs) He hired everybody. He gave his
1: poor friends jobs to keep them out of the poorhouse, essentially. So good on him. Imogen took to Lisette, though their styles differed greatly. Lisette was confrontational in her street photography. There is an almost sarcastic meanness to some of her work. After all, she would go on to teach Diane Arbus all she knew. Meanwhile, Imogen was shy and almost embarrassed. Many of her photos were taken as like reflections in store windows or from around corners. She'd often hide like she was digging something out of her Rolleiflex bag and then hop up and take a picture and then go back into digging.
2: Despite their differences in approach, both were able to show compassion and humanity through their photos. Neither engaged in exploitation, and both found the lightness of city life where they could.
1: When Lisette and Evsa left the city in 1951, Imogen continued with this voice, though it was also combined with an influence by photographer Minor White. White was also on staff at the California School because of Ansel Adams, but he was known to Imogene well before that.
2: White had been running in the same circles as Imogene for years now. He had met Alfred Stieglitz, was friends with Edward Weston, and lived with Ansel Adams. In 1949, possibly because Imogene had won, White bought a Zeiss Ikonta and took to the streets. Hmm, he would often shoot Or at least display in sequence triptychs with symbolism and equivalence, as he called it. An idea that was taken from Stieglitz.
1: Imogene borrowed the best from both White and Model. She also drew upon all she learned from before, especially the use of shadow in that objectivist style, the sharp, the sharp lines. Of course, none of this might have been conscious, and it's very likely that she influenced Modell and White just as much, or maybe even more, and I'm kind of leaning towards maybe a little more, than they influenced her.
2: Both White and Modell took teaching jobs in New York, and Emma Jean benefited from these connections. She exhibited her work at the Limelight Gallery a few times through the 50s. She sold her prints for $15, roughly $150 in today's money. This allowed her to visit the city she loved, but could never afford. In 1956, she walked the neighborhoods of New York photographing the people she met. Now, well into her 70s, she must have been a sight to behold on these hardened streets. She
1: had found her style, which seems like an odd thing to say about somebody who had been shooting for half a century. For the most part, her photography was not candid. There was the rare glance of disapproval captured by a roll flex, but the majority of the photos from this time show people posing. And if not posing, then just resign to this stooped over older lady with a camera.
2: In the early 50s, through her son, Rondle, Imogene met and became friends with Ruth Asawa, a Japanese-American modernist sculptor. She is most remembered for her work with hanging wire baskets, though calling them baskets doesn't really do them justice. Ruth was much younger than Imogene. They were nearly 40 years apart. Imogene saw a lot of herself self in, in Ruth, especially how her work was seen by male critics. Both were seen as inferior to their male peers.
1: Through the 50s and well into the 60s, Imogene photographed Ruth and her wire sculptures, creating new and lasting collaborations. Ruth's sculptures were her own, and Imogene's photos of Ruth's sculptures were another piece of art entirely. Here, both artists played well together, Ruth constructing something Imogene never could accomplish, while Imogene photographed and printed the sculptures in ways Ruth could never consider.
2: While her friendship with Lisette Model helped with her exhibiting at the Limelight, her friendship with Minor White gave her a connection to George Eastman House where he was now working. Through his selection, the house bought 75 of her prints. This certainly helped her financial problems, but it's not like she could retire, though it's not like she wanted to either. By
1: 1960, and at the age of 77, she was off to Europe, tackling nine different countries, photographing street scenes, markets, and making portraits. Her most striking image Lenny in Ch- Chartres? Chartres, I'm bad with French, happened when she was at a cafe with a friend. Feeling restless, Imogene said that she wanted to go out to the street and see if there's anything to shoot out there. And once out there, she turned back around to the cafe and saw her friend through the window and took the shot.
2: Mm, I love her. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. In Paris, she took a Man Ray version of Man Ray, An odd series of six overlapping portraits, something very much like Man Ray might produce. It was not an in-camera double exposure, but a print made with overlapping negatives.
1: Through much of the decade, she would continue her experiments with this and other methods for pushing photography. In her darkroom, she'd keep negatives of various textures she shot. Walls, bomb casings, architecture. And just in case she would want to sandwich the two or more negatives together and print them, creating a new thing in her darkroom.
2: Though she had her fair share of exhibitions and was fairly well known in photographic circles, she still had nothing published. This changed in 1964 when Aperture Magazine devoted an entire issue to her work. Imogene spent the entire year prior to its publication selecting and reselecting the photos to be included. I think we can both understand that. Oh, yeah. Understand I, anybody who's put together been. any
1: kind of publication understands that. Maybe not a year, but this was her first and this was big. While most of the work was from decades past, Aperture had a deal going with Polaroid, the company, where the feature photographer would shoot an image with a Polaroid that would appear on the back cover. Imogene struggled with this assignment.
2: She went through various Polaroid emulsions over and over. This was the first time she had ever even used a Polaroid and just didn't get it.
1: Writing to Ansel Adams, she complained.
2: Herewith, I am giving you notice that I am practically dropping dead from overexposure to Polaroid. (laughs) I can understand that. Quite a number of people have seen my tries and quite a few people like them. So I have decided that I will make you a visit with a pocket full of them. Though frustrating at
1: first, she was falling in love with the format.
2: I would like to work more on this.
1: She continued to Ansel.
2: I find it so fascinating with people that I run myself ragged and make a shot or two of everyone who comes within my gate. She was finally successful. Choosing a Polaroid she took of a shirtless black
1: man lying on her patio. She wanted this image for the back cover, but Minor White, who was arranging and sequencing the photos for the issue, thought it might be too, as he put it, full of power and arrogance. Instead, he went with a portrait taken through her window of her neighbor, Jose. It was the safer of the two choices. For the cover, White selected a photo of one of Ruth Asawa's sculptures. The magazine contained 44 of Imogen's images, and it was released to universal
2: praise. She was finally in print and happy. But around her, the country seemed to be falling apart. The civil rights movement had come to San Francisco, as did the anti-war movement. The early hippies were growing out their hair and taking to the streets in protest, and Imogene was there for all of it. She photographed civil
1: rights marches and naked games of Twister, the hippies on hate and Ashbury, and pinned peace symbols to the strap of her Roloflex.
2: As a people, it seems we have made war
1: our way of life. She said during a 1968 lecture.
2: Nationalism and its partner, racial prejudice, are accepted by the great majority of people, or so it seems to me. Perhaps this is not really admitted, but look at us, wallowing in feelings of hate and superiority. It is difficult in the idealistic situation of an art school to talk about racism and prejudice. But... If we reach down in ourselves individually, we will probably discover some or even many kinds of prejudice.
1: As the 60s came to a close, Imogene began to consider her legacy. There were thousands of negatives in storage, and she would have to sort through them all, cataloging as she went. Along with these negatives, she found a large bundle of 100 glass plates. She was shocked— Prior to leaving, she had destroyed all of her plates by smashing them over a garbage can, or so she thought. But here they were, 100 of them, from early on in her career.
2: Included with these were the nudes she made of Rex's husband Roy and the Butler brothers. Here again was Claire Shepard and her old pictorialist friends and photos. Her finds sent her mind whirling, These 50-year-old images needed to be printed. Unable to do it on her own, at least financially, she applied to the Guggenheim Foundation for a grant to print her work for a year. She was certain that she wouldn't get it, but in May of 1970, they awarded her $5,000.
1: For the next year, this 87-year-old woman took to her basement darkroom and printed everything she could. A good example of how she worked was featured in the 1972 short film by John Corti, which is available on archive.org. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. In the film, she looks at home and at ease, but soon the work was just too much for her.
2: I am frightfully frustrated by the whole thing as it is more than I thought it would be. Printing is the hardest and most boring part of photography and I am really in for it.
1: While she was printing, the University of Washington published Imogene Cunningham Photographs. It contained 94 photos and was a more enduring publication than Aperture Magazine. It's also waiting for me in my mailbox right now. She was now famous and not just photography famous. San Francisco declared November 12th, 1970 Imogene Cunningham Day, and through all of this, she was still teaching. TV crews would also drop by her house and her darkroom often, and students would ask her for a critique of their work. Many, many of her students.
2: The hectic part of my life is that the students hound me to visit, and that means photographing me, although I am the most ugly subject they could find. I cannot figure it out. Of course, this is all since the Guggenheim, and I complain to myself about it, but realize that it is my own fault. I do not know how to say no. I do not want to seem stingy with my time, but when I consider what I have looked at in a way of work and how difficult it is to say an encouraging word, I wonder why I go on doing it.
1: Through the printing and the students, she was also still shooting. There were the usual street portraits as well as many formal ones. At one point, around 1972, her Polaroid began to act up a bit, possibly from dirty rollers. It created what looked like beaded curtains across the image, and she used this to create Chris through the curtain, where Chris, her neighbor, seemed to be peering out of a set of oddly laced curtains.
2: She also continued a project which she later called heads, legs, hands, which used doll heads and arms to create odd and unsettling pieces. They're like almost nothing she had created before. In the several books that we have of hers, almost nothing is really mentioned of these photos, despite all the books at least having a few images of them in them.
1: One source mentions them in passing, explaining that Imogene provocatively expressed her sentiments in a group of still lifes created with dismembered doll parts, the mutilated heads and limbs connoting the horrors of warfare, and and maybe... That's what she was going for. I don't know that was possibly her intent, though I don't think she's really ever talked about them.
2: When she turned 90 in April of 1973, a gigantic party was thrown for her at the Golden Gate Park. Several hundred people showed up. In her honor, galleries across the country exhibited her work, many as solo shows.
1: And at 90, just like at 70, it may have seemed like a great time to retire. Uh, What more could she do? And really, what more did she have to say?
2: That summer, Morris Graves, a painter known for his modernist art, wrote her a compelling letter. His words made it sound like he was ready to die.
1: I'm gonna do my, my best dying Morris Graves. Like us all, I suspect I am undergoing changes that are beyond my comprehension. I am tired of life. And I understand less and less, but it would somehow please me, I think, if you were to take a fine photograph of me."
2: They both grew up a generation apart in Seattle. Maybe there was some connection because of that. All he wished was to be photographed by her, and she obliged. She made the trip to Lolita, a five-hour drive up the 101 and where my sister Karina used to live. (laughs) She wanted him to wade into a nearby lake, but he refused. But when she returned home, she superimposed two negatives, one of Morris and another of that lake, getting her way in the end.
1: Uh, Incidentally, the Morris Graves, himself being obviously so close to the grave, lived for another 28 years. But but sure, have the 90-year-old come out and photograph you. In 1974, the University of Washington published another monograph, simply entitled Imogen, with an exclamation point. It was a catalog of her show at the university, but contained a number of photographs not widely seen before. Nearly half of it was devoted to her early work and many from the plates she had just rediscovered. In the book, from time to time, she added short memorandums under the images. Captioning one of her nude photos of Roy on Mount Rainier, Imogen wrote,
2: This was made in 1915, When I was first married, you could never chase a naked husband around Mount Rainier today. Challenge accepted. By
1: 1975, all of her archival and organizational work was more or less complete. In February of that year, she created the Imogene Cunningham Trust. Everything was numbered and dated and marked with her name if she printed it herself. But if it was printed by somebody else, she wished it to read,
2: To hell with you. This print is as good as if Imogene had made it.
1: But that was too long. Having published two books, she wished to do a third, but when going through her work, she threw up her hands.
2: This is boring. I took all these pictures a long time ago. Why don't I go out and do some new work? She would be like how old?
1: She was like 93 at this point, yeah. Oh my
2: god. Fucking am- <laughs> like amazing. Like how? Can I just have, like, can I just have, I'll sleep all day long for the next 30 years if I can live and shoot when I'm 93.
1: (laughs) So it was possibly because of the work she did with Morris Graves, who was not exactly elderly, obviously not, uh, but he was old enough, sure, that convinced her to begin a new project that she called After 90. Writing to a friend, she described it.
2: I am doing a new job now, photographing people who are old, I have been given an unfair dosage of years. I say unfair as it is almost more than I can cheerfully endure. I am not cheerfully philosophical, but rather overly critical of the things that seem to be happening, not in our work, but in our social system. Ever the same old complainer, yours truly, Emma motherfucking Jean.
1: Sorry. A complainer, perhaps, but she knew exactly what she wanted.
2: We're going to do a book,
1: she told her assistant photographer, Tom Ekstrom.
2: It's going to be called After 90, and it's going to be about old people. But you know, old people who still have their wits, who are still doing things.
1: She made a list of names, began calling them herself. When she and Tom arrived at their homes, he would set up her four by five. Her vertigo had made it almost impossible for her to be under a dark cloth for all that long. He'd frame the shot and she would adjust the movements in final focus.
2: Her work during this final period took her to hospitals and convents, to the homes of the aged, most younger than she was. She'd regale them with stories and laughter, and it would be such a pleasant way to spend a half hour. I just want to say that I really honestly feel like when you retire, I think you age faster. (laughs) When you stay busy and you have projects, I think that's what keeps you going.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: What an amazing thing to experience as just maybe an old person in a in a hospital seeing this old lady having someone help focus and then her going over there to to do the final touches and and snap the picture i mean it's this beautiful romantic life of of a craft of of something that you have done your whole life and i just i don't know just so special
1: yeah she was doing it her whole life but even now, her style was changing. Or I guess maybe she was changing her style, because I think this was very deliberate. In the past, many of her portraits were straight on, very rough-looking, you know, kind of candid, capturing the dirt and the grime. But now she wanted more for her sitters. She wanted them to look kind of dignified and respected. She wanted the best for them.
2: By the beginning of 1976, she was finished with the book. The last photographs, or one of the very last was of Irene Bobby Library, a tattooed lady from the old Sideshow days. With this, the book was at an end.
1: But she was not. In April, she appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. She got a laugh from the audience when she told them that Vanity Fair hired her in the 30s to take pictures of ugly celebrities like Cary Grant. Here I work
0: for Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair magazine,
1: and they signed you on an assignment to take pictures of? Ugly men. Ugly men?
0: And I did Cary Grant.
1: Did you consider him an ugly man?
0: No, he convinced me that he wasn't.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shop.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Though after 90 was complete and sent off to the publisher, she knew that she would not live to see it, and this depressed her.
1: I think it goes to what you were just saying, that she had a project keeping mm-hmm. her alive. That's probably why she started a project so late in life. Yeah. And now she had nothing to, no, no project in the works. She yeah. began looking for rest homes and she considered live-in nurses. She was still able to get around, you know, when at the time of Carson, but after she was done there, she was getting older fast. That uh, More than anything, she was finished. Her work was finished and her life, was finished.
2: Don't cry.
0: <laughs> when I was yeah. writing
1: this, I I kept Ugh. adding different parts to talk about in her life because I didn't want it to end. <laughs> um, so she died in June twenty. On, <clears throat> she died on June 24th, 1976. A memorial party was thrown for her at Golden Gate Park. Uh, filmmaker and her friend Anne Hershey described a celebration.
2: I was impressed with the assortment of friends Emma Jean had collected through the years. Straight, hip, gay, all types, sizes, and colors. From babies to senior citizen, a term Emma Jean loathed. It offends my soul, she used to say. We were there to greet each other and try to accept the fact that the 93-year-old sorceress had dismissed us all and moved on ahead, as usual.
1: So, as I mentioned in the last episode, there was an Imogene Cunningham exhibit at the Seattle Art Museum, and I went to it, and and it was uh, a really wonderful, wonderful time, and now after doing this, I kind of want to see it again. (laughs) Um, It has moved on, though. It is now uh, in L.A., at the Getty, going from Seattle to L.A., uh, from Washington to California like Imogene, but also Seattle, like me, and L.A., like you, Vanya.
2: I know. I think you need to fly down here. So I, I just might. Uh, it's it actually already started. It's uh, it started March eighth, okay. and it ends June twelfth. So we do have some time. A lot of time. Yeah. I've been talking with Alan about going, mm-hmm. and he asked like, "Oh my god, we should go to this." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, we should." but I kind of feel like I want to do like a field trip, like a all through a lens field trip, let's go and um, meet up and go see this exhibition together.
1: Yeah, if that can happen, which I don't see why it can't, but if it can, we will have more information about that in the future on social media and, and on, the, on the podcast. We will definitely give y'all a heads up.
2: Oh, you guys, can you believe it? We fucking got through that one. It's kind of sad. I feel bittersweet. You did say, I mean, you're literally wiping your tears. You need to stop. I'm seriously. I'm <laughs> so sorry. You I have kind of, to stop.
1: I kind of fell in love with Imogen.
2: <laughs> no, she's um, absolutely incredible. And it was, uh, I. this podcast is amazing because it it really gets me to to deep dive and, and just just even having the honor to read her words is like a little intense. I don't obviously sound like her, but I do my best because I really like when a story is read to me. <laughs> uh, so, I'd like to have a little bit of that in our podcast. I think it's like kind of relaxing, especially if you're so. like busy working or doing some fun stuff.
1: And it spills over <laughs> into the next segment. And the next segment Which, is... <laughs>
2: Which is Zine Reviews. And I am so sorry, you guys. Um, I have a confession to make. So, Zine Reviews. I have gotten several Zines uh, in the mail in the past couple weeks. Uh, I did go out of town and I've been kind of a little bit crazy lately with tax season coming up and just with the price of everything and war and, you know, just 2022. <laughs> I swear to God, I don't know when it's ever going to end, you guys. So I just wanted to be honest. Um, I didn't do my zine review this time. And the reason why I didn't is because I felt like it wouldn't have been fair for me to give a, what my grandpa would say is a Mickey Mouse review <laughs> to <laughs> someone's hard work. <laughs> I want I want to like spend time with the zines and I really do. Like I have a stack by my desk or I bring them, sorry guys, into the bathroom sometimes or I bring them out into the living room if I don't want to watch TV and just like look at something. I try to kind of live with them for a while and just go through them and just feel it out because I want to give a good review. So I'm going to take a pass and hopefully I don't get graded for this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to pass over the mic to uh, my lovely, lovely co-host, Eric, because he did do his homework and has it ready to go.
1: I got a zine uh, from Garen Kiesel.
2: I did, too, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You did. We both got got this one. Yes, I
2: got sidewalks, yeah.
1: Uh, Sidewalks. And you'll remember Garen Kiesel from Toy Golf. About the miniature golf courses. Okay. So uh, this is Garen Kiesel's Sidewalk. Now it's a smaller sizing, kind of small. I'm going to call it like super small, but it's perfect bound. And I'm really loving these kind of monograph type little little books is really. They, mm-hmm. This is uh, color and black and white, mostly black and white, and maybe 60-ish pages. I'm bad at counting. And they're all taken with a half frame pinhole camera. And because of the size of the film, it's 35 cut in half. They, there's a lot of blur, a lot of motion and they are pinholes, so there is that. But the grain is also chunky as hell. Now this is added to by the fact that it's a uh, stand developed from a pan 400. Love. I'm pretty sure that if
2: you Very are, well, excellent choice.
1: yeah. If you have celiac disease, maybe you might want to stay away from this scene. Lots of grain, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. <laughs> was no, it, was
2: not. it was wonderful and thank you. I think uh, honestly, that was one of the first conversations we ever had was a, a grain joke. So, oh, really? It kind of took me back a little bit.
1: Oh well, dipping into the classics here. So it's mostly being shot on Though There is a weird, like, wide variation of black and white feels here. I don't, I don't really know why, and that's so interesting to me. Uh, the color is, it's um. What is it? I think he said it is is Fuji Superior 400, which is a wonderful little color film. He develops it in C41 for some reason. I'm not sure why someone isn't using ECN2, but it does have that lo- lovely, lovely washed-out C41 feel to it. And so it's mostly a kind of a stroll through a neighborhood, but it's it's a very dreamlike. Ooh. Nightmare-ish stroll. I don't want to mean that in a bad way. Kind of like the, the, the good nightmares, the ones you wake up from going, oh, I was fucked up. Kind of fun. And that's what this is. I wouldn't say it's fucked up zine or anything, but there is a Americana-ness to it, which is always a little terrifying to me. <laughs> Maybe that's me. I do enjoy the crispness of some of them and the haziness of others. So you can and should pick this zine up. You'll have to get it from Garen directly at grain underscore or underscore die. And he really lives up to his name in this. (laughs) Grain or die. He chooses grain, by the way.
2: Yeah. He does. I fucking love it, dude. Grain or die. That's just, it's beautiful. And so since
1: you don't, you didn't uh, have another zine here and we usually do film photography zines, I'm going to kind of slide this one in here real quick. This is Charlie from Casual Science from Themselves Press, and they've got this wonderful little collage zine. And I know I'm saying that like in a diminutive way, and it's absolutely not. The way they print, uh, the way Themselves Press prints is it's so good for being literally done in like a bedroom. I am in love with this press. Everything they do is wonderful. And now the quality, because I think they got a new printer and it is great quality. And that the I, I love collage. It's where I started with, with zine making. And I dip mm-hmm. into it once in a while here and there. And it's Same. wonderful to see it. You can tell it's analog done. I mean, there's rips and there's tears in it. I love it themselves press has a patreon that uh, for every if you if you have it every month you get sent a new zine at one of the levels Mm -hmm. and this was one of those zines so i'm not sure if it's going to be released in general but i hope so and if it's not definitely check it out and check out you know obviously follow casual science and themselves press on instagram and thank you charlie for making such excellent fucking zines
2: All Through a Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting books, our Newspapers.com account for research, because who gets newspapers anymore except those ones that are rotting outside your front door because you didn't take it in after it rained and now you just have this soggy bag outside, audio equipment, and much, much more. We would like to thank our subscribers for their support. We could not do it without you.
1: And since uh, a few episodes ago, we have four new patrons to (gasps) thank. Four! Four. We've got Brandon Helton. Christy
2: Cornell. (laughs) Angel O'Brien. Oh, I know her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) And Neil Cole. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Para tu... Ti... I don't know. I can't. Thank you so much for your support. It would be absolutely stupid to do this podcast without you.
1: So if you like bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and extra nonsense, you can become a patron subscriber. We've got three different levels of support, with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode.
2: So head over to patreon.com slash all through a lens for more info. So
1: we're coming to the end of the episode here. We
2: always say that.
1: It's always true at the
2: end, isn't it? We're never lying about that.
1: What does the next week look like for you, film photographically speaking?
2: Oh, gosh. Okay, so... I made another Instagram <laughs> because why not, right? Um, I made a new Flickr and a new Instagram because I decided that it is time to start uh, scanning in a lot of the photos that I have been collecting through the years. Someone actually recommended me, this lady who was cleaning out her um, studio, and she's getting rid of tons of like, Wet plate, like tintype, old photographs, uh, carte visites, uh, all kinds of stuff. So I got a bunch of doll arms and doll heads. So I don't know. Maybe I'm Ooh. gonna do some imogen coming soon. You never know. I think it's really important to not just keep them for myself. So I am going to scan them. And if there is a back to the photo with writing, I am going to scan that fucking side too, because I think that's just as is as important as the picture itself. So if you want to take a look, it's at Taken and Found, which I know sounds like a weird Instagram handle, but eh, that's what it is.
1: Where'd you come with that? So that's what I'm
2: doing. Um, Well, I talked to you about it. And then I was like, I don't know what to say. And I was going to call it something really bad. (laughs) And then uh, I was like, well, how about like Taken? or something. And I don't think we, we, we mutually did it. Or did you, are you, are you going to take
1: I'm not. No, right. I'm not. I know that I was involved, though, and I wanted to be involved you,
2: again. Okay, I do like to kind of tag the picture if it's from a certain city, especially if the like the a lot of the Carja divas, Car, a lot of the CDVs will have the town because that side of the CDV is usually like absolutely gorgeous with a lot of different kinds of uh, unique details. So. That's yeah. what I'm doing what about you <laughs> I don't have I don't have really any plans
1: hard and fast uh, I will be developing all that stuff that I shot last past weekend mm-hmm. that's that's kind of it I don't have any any real plans yeah I, I wish I had a more exciting life but unfortunately i I do not <laughs> uh, but developing and then kind of assessing whether I like this brass lance uh, probably spoiler alert I do probably. <laughs> But I do want to, I'm going to have to get the tickle tent out and do some x-ray shots or maybe make a dark room at work, um, which I guess is something I'll be doing. But there we go. you
2: kind of, you've been talking about that for a while. So that's, that's probably. It's
1: it's a possibility that I'll do that, but it's also work. And I don't know if I want to be there extra time. So I don't know, but that's about it.
2: Nice. Yeah. Up next on Dev Party, by the way. No, for up next on Dev
1: Party, we have a question mark. So what are, yeah. where are you going with this? I'm I'm very excited to learn what we're doing on Next Dev Party.
2: <laughs> glass plates, obviously. Okay, let's do some glass plates. Yeah.
1: We both have J-Lane dry plates. No. Or you have Zebra. I have
2: Zebra. I, oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> we'll see you in a week for that. Is there anything else you are dying to say? Yes. Okay,
2: good. Gracias por escuchar all through a lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at all through a Podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at all through a lens on Twitter. Remember when I said that I was on uh, TikTok, I kind of forgot that I had TikTok for a while. So maybe I'll get back on there. I don't know. I need some help. I need friends here to help me do TikTok dances, so send me a message. You can also check out our lovely, lovely show notes on All Through a Lens.
1: Vanya is at Surf Martian.
2: And Eric is at Conspiracy.of.cartographers. We are
1: both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag
2: your stuff. Hashtag
1: All Through a Lens podcast to be featured.
2: We also do a Spotify playlist. So check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search All Through a Lens.
1: You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review.
2: The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. Thank
1: you all so, so much for listening. We love you. And see you next week at Dev Party. Uh, Vanya? Uh,
2: Eric? <laughs> do, you, do you want to go and shoot? <laughs> Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. Sometimes I just want to strangle you. You're so fucking lucky that you live in Seattle.